Hi, this is John Stonge, and you're about to listen to a training session that I just finished hosting with the Healthy Discipleship Community. Each week, the Healthy Discipleship Community hosts a coaching call, and we discuss various topics that are important for Christians that are seeking to grow in their faith. The call we just completed was recorded, and the beginning portion of the call, you'll hear training that I'll be presenting, and then the second half of this particular episode, you'll hear the discussion that we had as a group. So we're grateful to be able to present this to you. We hope it's useful to you in your walk with Christ, and specifically in this training session, we're talking about how to share your faith without an argument. Well, I'm just going to welcome everybody. Uh, Tonight we're talking about how to share your faith without an argument. This is a series of Thursday night coaching calls that we're doing here as part of the Healthy Discipleship Community. Many of you have had the opportunity to meet in person. Some of you I'm meeting for the first time here on the call. Uh, Some of you I've had the privilege to uh, just be part of different webinars and things like that with in the past. So thank you guys for jumping on uh, this evening. And uh, again, we're going to be talking about this idea of how to share your faith without an argument. I'll share a little bit about what uh, the Healthy Discipleship Community is in just a few minutes, if you're not familiar with it. Uh, But for starters, let me uh, jump us over here to our first slide, because there's a couple things I want to mention as we set this up tonight. So one of our greatest desires as Christians is to see those we love also come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is something that I strongly desire. I would suspect that all of us on this call, uh, we desire to see those we love come to a re- into a relationship with Jesus Christ. There are people in your life that I'm sure that you've shared the gospel with. There are people in your family that you've shared the gospel with. We desire to see people meet Jesus, and Scripture encourages us, when you look throughout the Scriptures, it specifically encourages us to be people who actively share our faith. That's something that the Lord's called us to do. Uh, The Lord has ordained that the gospel come forth from our lips, and He encourages us to actively share our faith. When you look through the Old Testament Scriptures, some of my uh, favorite scripture from the book of Deuteronomy talks about this idea of sharing the faith with your children. And the example that we're given in Deuteronomy is this idea of share the God, you know, share, um, you know, the teaching of the Lord in that context as it's speaking of it. Share these things with your children when you're walking, when you're just going about your day to day tasks. It just talks about how, you know, this idea of of helping others come into a relationship with the Lord. And as we get into the New Testament, the New Testament talks about this idea that we are ambassadors of Christ and that the Lord's making his appeal to all people through us. And so we're encouraged to actively share our faith. But when I ask people, and I've done this plenty of times throughout the course of the years, but when I ask people to share examples of their experiences with sharing their faith, unfortunately, quite frequently, Many people, uh, when I ask that to, I get I, I get a blank stare, and uh, they don't have many examples to share. And what I've learned is that many people don't have examples to share because they haven't done it. They have never engaged in sharing in their faith. And so I wonder why that is. And when you ask others, and I think all of us can identify with this because this is an emotion that I would assume that all of us have felt 
in one respect or another. But one of the greatest reasons why we tend not to share our faith at times is out of the fear of being rejected. We're afraid that people are going to reject us. We're afraid that somebody is going to uh, either speak negatively about us or toward us or treat us poorly or reject us in some way. And so as a result, sometimes we resist the opportunity that we've been given or we don't make the most of the opportunity that we've been given to share our faith. So one of the questions that I'll just kind of get us started with tonight is this. How can we overcome our fear of being rejected when sharing our faith? So, you know, this is something that I have struggled with. This is something that I'm assuming that most of us on this call tonight have struggled with, this fear of being rejected when we're sharing our faith. How can we overcome this? So I want you to just kind of file that question in the back of your mind, and I want to ask now a follow-up question to that, and that's this. Is it possible that we might be overcomplicating the process of sharing the gospel with others? I think from time to time, that's exactly what we've done. We've overcomplicated the process of sharing the gospel with others. In fact, I've talked to some people about this, and I asked them what their experience with sharing the gospel with others has been like, and they tell me that they have hesitated to do so because they're fearful that they might get asked a question that they don't have an answer to. And I understand that fear, but I'd also say this. If someone asks you a question, you don't know the answer, the most honest thing you could do is say, I don't know, uh, but I'll certainly look and try and find out. But I think sometimes we overcomplicate the process of sharing our faith. We overcomplicate the process of sharing the gospel. And because we overcomplicate it, we frequently find ourselves in a spot where we just, in, in effect, we don't end up doing it. And so, um, you know, one additional question I'll kind of throw out here just to set us up is this. Is there an approach that we can use as a blueprint? Is there something that we might be able to use that would be a practical blueprint that could at least get us started? And I would suggest that there is. And I want to share something with you that is a hybrid of a few different things, but it was something that, that actually uh, came to my attention when I was in college. Remember when I was in college, one of the things that was required of us when we were uh, at the college that I went to, it was a Bible college, and once a year they had a missions conference, and they would bring in different missionaries to come and speak. And one of the missionaries was hosting a seminar on sharing faith, and he shared some things related to that that I took to heart, and I've adapted a little bit over the years, and I've used it essentially as a blueprint that I like to use when I'm engaging others in conversation in regard to sharing faith. And this is what it looks like. Um, and, I, and I'll give a few principles here, but in, in just a moment, I'm going to show you th what this blueprint looks like and just kind of throw it out there for discussion and see if you might find this useful as well. But I'll, I'll share these principles first. And I think that these are useful for us to know if we're going to be people who actively share our faith. First of all, first principle I just want to make sure to communicate is this. The Lord desires to save people. When you look throughout Scripture, the Lord communicates that in various ways, that He desires to save people. The Lord demonstrates that in the fact that He came to this earth, took on flesh, suffered, bled, died, rose from the grave, ascended back to heaven, promised that He's coming back, 
to take us to be with him someday. But in the meantime, uh, he, he's told us that he sent us out as ambassadors to go into the world, to teach others, to make disciples, uh, to help others come to know him. The Lord desires to save people. This is a mission that he's facilitating right now. This is something that he's utilizing us to participate with. And scripture also makes it clear that he has ordained that his gospel be shared through us. So I don't know if you feel like the best vessel for his gospel to be shared through, but scripture is very clear that the Lord has ordained that his gospel be shared through you and through me. This is his ordained means. Third principle is this. We don't save anyone. The Lord does. So it's not my job to save anybody, and it's not your job to save anybody. We don't save anybody. The Lord is the one who does the saving. He uses us to be uh, his ambassadors. He uses us to be his representatives. He uses us to be those who speak forth the truth of the gospel, but we don't save anyone. That's something that the Lord does. And a fourth principle I want to emphasize, even before we look through some of this process content, is this. Never minimize the importance of prayer in this process. You know, what I'm about to share with us is a process that I use when I'm sharing the gospel. I frequently use this, and I've been, I've been using this for, for several decades now. I think it's a very practical approach to sharing faith without arguing with people. But I recognize that this doesn't come down to my power. This doesn't come down to my strength. It's a, this doesn't come down to my wisdom. I need the Lord's strength and power and intervention every time I'm sharing the gospel. You need that as well. So we should never minimize the importance of prayer in this process because the Lord's the one who opens up people's eyes. The Lord is the one who softens people's hearts. The Lord's the one who helps people to understand and recognize that they even need a Savior. I don't think naturally speaking we would even realize that. And I think the fact that any of us are on this, this call tonight talking about this idea of how to share our faith without an argument, I think the reason we even value this is because the Lord's put it on our minds and put it on our hearts to value this. So never minimize the importance of prayer in this process, because through prayer, we can commit people to the Lord and ask the Lord to open their eyes and soften their hearts and to prepare opportunities for us that we can go forth and, and be uh, just faithful witnesses as we seek to share the message of the gospel. So let me segue now into a process that I find helpful. And what I'm going to show you in just a second here are some questions that I like to ask and scriptures that I like to share while I'm active listening to the person that I'm speaking with. And you'll notice that I've, I've highlighted this idea of active listening. Um, have you ever been in the, the midst of a conversation with somebody and you can tell that while you're in the midst of the conversation that they're not paying attention to anything you're saying? They're just kind of going through the motions and not really acknowledging what you're saying. And, and, and when we're active listening to somebody, we give verbal cues, we give head nods, we, we give indicators along the way that we're not just there to talk, we're also there to listen. And so as we share these things, I want us to have that principle in the back of our mind that I would say it's rude not to active listen. If you ask somebody a question, and many of the things we're going to talk about in a moment are questions that we would ask, I think it's rude to ask a question and then not pay attention to the answer. I think it's rude to ask a question and not, and, and not be actively listening when someone gives you 
a response to that question. So these are questions that I would suggest we ask and scriptures that I suggest we share. But when we do so, we want to be actively participating in a conversation and not rude about it. So um, let me jump to some suggested some suggested questions. Um, and I have all of these on our screen all at the same time right now. And I did that on purpose in case any of you want to screen, uh, screenshot this, because this might be something that would be useful if you're watching this on a computer later, or if you, want, if you have this on your phone, if you want to send yourself a picture. This is a list that I think is useful to just have on hand. So I debated whether or not to put this on multiple slides or whether to just put it on one slide. And so I thought, I'll just put it on one slide and I'll discuss each of these in just a moment. But I put it here on one slide so that you could just screenshot this so that you have the opportunity to look at it later and maybe even think about it later. But here, here's the process that I, um, that I tend to go through when I'm trying to share the gospel. And, you know, as I, as I go through this, I want to start off with a story of, of an opportunity uh, not too long ago where I had the opportunity to sit down with somebody and, and uh, go through this process. Um, I was uh, at a ministry conference, and um, in the evening they had something open up to just the, the general public that if they wanted to come and enjoy that evening's worship service, people were available to come and be part of it. And toward the end of the service, after the people presenting things had finished, there was a woman sitting right in the, the kind of the center of the, the room that we were in, center of the, the sanctuary there. And she was sitting with another woman. The two of them were sitting there. And one of the women came up to me and said to me, you're a pastor, right? And I said, yeah, I'm a pastor. And she said, okay, uh, can you do me a favor and come and, and sit down and, and speak to my friend? She wants to know more about the Lord and wants to know more about what it means to actually um, have a relationship with the Lord. But, uh, you know, I, I, I feel better if a pastor sat down and talked to her. Now, I'll say this. I don't think it's necessary that a pastor sits down and talks to somebody in order for faith to be shared. But in this particular moment, this is what this one woman had asked me if I would do. And I, I said, sure. And so I, I walked over to the woman that was sitting down, and I walked through these five questions that I have listed on the screen here for us. And I began asking her these things. So I, I started off by asking her uh, after I got to know her a little bit and, and just, you know, found out her name and told her a little bit about myself and, and uh, just asked what she was, you know, sitting there for and, and uh, what she was looking to, to understand more about. Once I, like, once I gained an understanding of that, I, I segued into these five questions. And the first question I asked her was this, do you have any spiritual beliefs? Now, the premise of what we're talking about tonight is this idea of how do we share our faith without an argument? And so you notice that the five things I have on our screen here are five questions, not arguments, not defenses, not you know, a whole bunch of things that you give, in, give a response to. It's just questions that we ask. And um, so I began by asking questions. And question number one, do you have any spiritual beliefs? And so as she began responding to that, I listened, and I listened to her tell her story, and she told me some of the things that she believed. Now, I'll tell you what, some of the things she believed were very inaccurate, and it would have been easy to just jump right in and say, oh, no, that's not true. That's not accurate, and that's really where arguments start 
to develop when, when people take that kind of approach. That wasn't really the goal of what I was trying to, to do as we were engaged in conversation. I just wanted to listen and get to know her and find out a baseline of where she was coming from. So question one, I just asked her, do you have any spiritual beliefs? And I just listened. And, I, and until she was done sharing, I listened. And then from there, I segued to question two. And I think that this is an extremely important question for a variety of reasons. But I asked her, who do you think Jesus is? And so she shared her answer. And I was listening carefully to what she shared. Did she think that Jesus was just some historical figure? Did she think he was maybe a prophet of some kind, but nothing more than that? Uh, Did she acknowledge his divinity? You know, I, I was just curious who she thought Jesus was. Did she even believe he existed? Anything like that. I just wanted to know. Who do you believe or who do you think Jesus is? And I just listened, actively listened. So first, do you have any spiritual beliefs? Then getting more specific, who do you think Jesus is? And then the third question I asked is this. Do you think that there's such a thing as an afterlife? Things like a heaven, hell, stuff like that. And I just wanted to know what she thought about that stuff. Do you think there's such a thing as an afterlife? And I listened to what she was sharing. You know, she shared about what she believed and and what she thought. This is the type of thing that all people think about. Everybody thinks about this. And they either decide that, that there is such a thing, and maybe they make up their own version of it in their own mind, or they dismiss the thought entirely, or they actually believe accurate things about it. And so I wanted to know from her, did she believe that there was such a thing as an afterlife? You know, things like a heaven, a hell, uh, or, or some other theory. You know, what, what did she think about that? Because I think that that's a useful question to ask. It shows somebody's perspective. It shows that they're, if they're thinking more than just beyond a particular moment in time. And then from there, kind of the natural question that I think can come from that, and this is question number four, where, I just asked her you know, where she thought she would be spending her afterlife, uh, because she indicated that she did indeed believe that there was an afterlife. So the, the follow-up to that was, all right, well, you know, where, do you, where do you think you'll be? Like you specifically, not just what, what do you think exists, but, but where do you think you'll specifically be? Where do you think you would go? after your time on earth is complete? Where do you think you would go after you die? And so she shared her thoughts. She shared what, what, she, uh, what she believed. And, and some of the things she said were, were not accurate uh, and showed that she did not have a good understanding of the afterlife. But I didn't argue it. I didn't debate it. I just took all this in. And so these are the first four of the five questions, you know, just asking and listening do you have any spiritual beliefs? Who do you think Jesus is? Do you believe that there's such a thing as an afterlife? Where do you think you'll be spending your, your, you know, your, your time on earth after you die? Uh, you know, or excuse me, where do you think you'll be going after your time on earth is completed? You know, where do you think you'll go after you die? And, and then, you know, I, I, I just allowed her to, to answer these things. And then finally, I asked the question, would you want to hear what I believe about these things? Would you want to hear what I think is accurate about these things? And this is an interesting turning point in whether or not this turns argumentative or not. Because you're asking somebody a question, would you like to know what I believe about these things? And 
you know, if they say yes, then that gives us an opportunity for further discussion. And if they say no, people often ask the question, well, what do you do then? And usually what I say, if somebody, if I ask somebody, would you like to hear what I believe about these things? Uh, and they say, they, if they say no, then I respect that. And I let them know that I'd be happy to talk about it more with them at some other time if they ever were curious. But the truth is, after I've spent time being polite and listening to somebody else's questions, I, I tend to find that people reciprocate the respect that you've shown them. And that tends to produce an open door for further discussion. And so from there, what I like to do, what I prefer to do, and this is so easy to do now, particularly now that we live in this era where we have smartphones in our pockets. And if you're like me, you know, one of the primary ways that I find myself reading the scripture is from a smartphone. So, um, you know, I've got my phone in my pocket at all times. And on my, on my phone, I have multiple copies of the Bible. And so I'll pull up a copy of the Bible and I'll, I'll take the person to the scriptures that I've listed on this screen. And this is where I'll share the things that I believe. And I'll just walk through these things. But what I like to do is instead of me reading these scriptures, I typically invite them to read these scriptures and then tell me what they think these things are saying. And by the way, I have these all on one slide here for you if you want to screenshot that as well. But I'm going to read these scriptures for us, and I'm going to tell you what the typical response I get to sharing each of these scriptures happens to be. First of all, in Romans chapter 3.23, the scripture says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so I'll, I'll ask them, you know, to you, what do you think that scripture is saying? It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So I'm asking them to read it. And, um, and I'll ask, what do you think that means? And it's a very straightforward scripture. And so typically people look at that and they'll say, okay, well, it seems to me that it, it indicates that everybody has sinned, that everybody has sinned, everybody's a sinner. And, uh, and I'll affirm that. And I'll, I'll, I'll continue to actively listen because, again, that's, that's just the polite thing to do. I'll actively listen and, you know, confirm, yeah, that's exactly what that's saying. And I'll, I'll also assure them that's indeed what I believe, that all have sinned. Um, and then we'll go from there. And we'll read Romans 6.23. And in Romans 6.23, it says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I'll ask, what do you think that means? And they'll look at that and they'll say, okay, it seems like, like sin earns us death, but it tells us that God gives eternal life as a free gift through Jesus Christ. They usually say some part of that because usually what they're doing is they're paraphrasing what the scripture happens to say. And so I'll, again, you know, show affirmation, show support, show, you know, that yes, you know, that that's indeed what that scripture says. And then we'll go over to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, where it says this, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And there's certain aspects of Romans 10, 9, and 10 that I think at, at times uh, people have to kind of process through because it's a, a longer section I'm asking them to read. 
Uh, but typically people get at least the essence of it right, that these verses are encouraging them to believe in Jesus. And if they believe in Jesus, they'll experience what this, this scripture refers to as being saved. And so we might even talk about what it means to be saved. You know, we might kind of hang out there for a little bit and discuss this idea of what it means to be saved, this idea of being rescued from eternal condemnation, the fact that you've been rescued from death and you've been brought unto life through faith in Jesus Christ. But the essence of Romans 10, 9, and 10 is that if you believe in Jesus, you will be saved. Now, the interesting thing about this next scripture, John chapter 3, verse 3, is almost every time I walk people through these scriptures and encourage them to read them, this is one that almost always trips people up a little bit. Uh, I'll ask them to read John 3, 3, and I find people scratching their heads at this a little bit. So let me read John chapter 3, verse 3. And it, because it says this, Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so people will look at this and they'll find themselves scratching their heads and they'll be thinking, okay, it's talking about this idea of being born again, but what exactly does that mean? I've, you know, people, I've had people say to me, I've heard that term. I've heard this concept before. I've heard people reference this idea of being born again, but I'm not exactly certain what that means. And here this is saying, unless someone is born again, they can't be part of God's kingdom. And, he, it, and by the way, when you look at John chapter 3 and you read through that scripture, you, could, you recognize that uh, Nicodemus, as Jesus is speaking these things to him, Nicodemus is also kind of scratching his head trying to figure out what exactly does Jesus mean by talking about this idea of being born again. But I take that as an opportunity to explain this idea. Okay, you've already experienced a physical birth, but now the Lord's saying you need to experience a spiritual birth. You need to experience a spiritual birth. And so Christ is saying you need to be born a second time in a different way. You were born physically, now you need to be born spiritually. And usually at that point in the, in the discussion, I see the light kind of go on for people like, okay, that makes sense. I see what he's saying. All right, I have to experience a new kind of birth. And then we start to get really, really specific here when we look at John 14, 6. And in John 14, 6, the scripture says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so I'll ask them, what do you think Christ was saying there? And that's very interesting to watch people wrestle with this portion of Scripture. Because John 14, 6, in that, in that verse, Jesus is making things very, very specific. He's not saying, I'm one of several acceptable ways. He's saying, I am the only way. He's saying, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. And so as I encourage them to read these things for themselves, they're looking at this, it's, it's hard to look at that and not recognize what the scripture is actually saying, saying that Jesus is the only way. And I like to ask people, you know, what do you think about that? I mean, Jesus is being very specific here and saying that he is the only way. In our pluralistic society right now, this is a portion of scripture that for many people, they would take great offense to. But I'll also say this, I think that the gospel tends to offend us before we tend to find it uh, welcoming. I think the Lord uses the truth to kind of shake us out of the falsehood that we've gravitated toward in the past, 
And here you have Jesus being very specific, saying, I'm the only way. There's no plan B. I'm the only way. And then I like to go to Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. And I, I try and be careful with this because sometimes people take way too many liberties with Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. But in Revelation chapter 3, do you, you know, this is a portion of Scripture where Christ is speaking to the churches that are referenced in the book of Revelation there at the, in the first, uh, first three verses, or excuse me, first three chapters. But in Revelation 3.20, you have Jesus making this statement. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door... I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And one of the things that I think is interesting about that scripture is just how much it illustrates the fact that Christ is knocking at the door of our hearts, the fact that Christ desires to have fellowship with his people, the fact that Christ desires to be up close with people, not just at a distance. And I think that's what a lot of people think about when they think about the Lord. They think about him as being at a distance. But Revelation 3.20 illustrates just how much the Lord desires to be intimately involved with our lives. He wants to be up close with us. He knocks at the doors. Uh, he knocks at the door of the hearts of his people. And Revelation 3.20 illustrates that in a very specific context, but I think it illustrates the heart of the Lord in general. And so I'll pause there at that point. I know I have one more scripture on my list, but I usually don't jump to that one right away. After that, I, I, I kind of pause there and I, I, I ask them, okay, what do you think about this collection of scriptures? What do you think about the things that we just read together? You know, the fact that, that it tells us that we've all sinned and that sin earns us death, but that if we believe in Jesus Christ, we'll be saved, and that through faith in Christ, we can experience a new birth, and that Jesus is the only way to eternal life, and he's, he's knocking and he's reaching out to you, and he desires to have fellowship with you. He desires to be up close with you. What do you think about these things? Do you, are, are you content to know this stuff but not act on it, or do you want to do something with this? And I usually just pause there and wait to see where people go with this. Now, a lot of times, more often than not, when I've had this conversation with people, um, and in the particular context that I was sharing just a moment ago about the woman at that particular conference, um, she was ready. Like, she was very ready to receive Christ. And so we spent some time together then praying, and uh, I, I led her in prayer. I, I talked to her about these things. I made sure that she understood. I gave her the opportunity to, to just simply trust in Christ, to, pr to reach out to Him in prayer, to accept Christ as her Lord, to accept Christ as her Savior, to trust in Him, in that moment, and praise God, she did. I also went through this same process with a friend of mine from high school some years ago, and um, I shared these things with him, and when we got to this point, he made it clear that he was not interested in having a relationship with Jesus, and obviously, I was very disappointed with that, but I didn't argue with him because I recognize I can't save anybody. The Lord can save people. I can present his truth to people, but it's the Lord that can save people. And I know that the Lord can take his word, implant it in a person's mind, implant it in a person's heart, and in his time, save somebody. And so I know that my friend has heard this truth, and in the Lord's time, the Lord can save him. 
But in that moment, you know, at that point, he didn't trust in Christ, but he at least heard these things. But I was grateful in the context of that particular conference that I was referencing that that woman did receive Christ. She did trust in Christ. She welcomed, welcomed Christ to be her Lord and Savior and, and uh, Messiah, and, and, and uh, she wanted to know more about walking with him. And so after we prayed together, I took her to one more portion of Scripture, and that was in Luke chapter 15. Now, in Luke chapter 15, verse 7, it illustrates for us the fact that heaven rejoices when we're saved. I actually want to read for us Luke 15, starting with verse 3, and I'll read from verse 3 down to verse 7. But this is what I read to her, and this is what I typically read to people in that moment if they come to faith in Jesus Christ. In Luke 15, Jesus said this. It says, So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And so I, you know, I love looking at that portion of scripture and how it illustrates our Lord's heart, but I also love sharing that in a context where someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, assuring them and reminding them of the fact that there is rejoicing in heaven over somebody coming to faith in Christ, that heaven itself rejoices. You know, that those who are in heaven, you know, the, 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 the Lord and the angels, they rejoice over the fact that someone would come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so let me go back to the previous slide for a, a second. I, you know, so what I, what I have found helpful is that it's helpful to have kind of a system or an approach in mind when I desire to, to share faith with others that's conversational instead of necessarily being just confrontational. I think a lot of people think that, that sharing the gospel needs to be primarily confrontational. For me and for my personality, I find it more useful to share in a conversational way. So I like to ask questions. I like to find out about somebody's background. I like to find out about their beliefs. And so I walk them through these questions. Do you have any spiritual beliefs? Uh, what, you know, what are they? And I listen. Who do you believe Jesus is? And I listen. Do you believe in an afterlife? And I listen. Where do you think you specifically are going to go? And then I listen. And then I offer them the opportunity to hear what I believe. And then I segue from there into the scriptures that I just shared. And I find that they're easy to remember. Because if you look at the first three, they're all from Romans. Romans 3.23, 6.23, and 10.9 and 10. So I find that easy to categorize that in my mind. It's like, all right, three scriptures from Romans, and then two from, from John. So John 3.3 3, and John 14.6. And then in the end, Revelation 3.20. And then if they come to faith in Christ, Luke chapter 15. And I have those in my mind because I want to be prepared at all times and again, particularly in this era when we have a smartphone handy and can have the scripture right there with us, even if we don't have a printed copy of the Bible right there, um, I want to have some place in mind where I'm going to take somebody if they're interested in having a conversation about these things. And I want them to not just hear my opinions, I want them to actually see what the scriptures say. And so this is the process that I bring people through and the, the process that I go through of, of discussing this 
and not arguing about it. And I have to tell you, in the, the uh, 20 plus years that I've been taking this approach, I felt like it's given me a, a better framework for sharing the gospel. It's helped me to be prepared on a moment's notice to know where I want to take somebody in the conversation if they're asking about these things or interested in these things, as opposed to it just being a haphazard approach where I'm not really giving a whole lot of thought to how I want to convey the message of the gospel. So in just a few moments here, I'm going to segue into gallery view, and I'm going to bring us all up on the screen in just a second. Uh, but I'll, I'll just point out one thing to you before I do. Before I take your questions and comments, I want to point you to desirejesus.com, which is my website. I have a variety of resources there, a variety of articles there about sharing your faith, about the essence of the gospel, about God's nature. They're all searchable. So if you go to the, to the homepage, right to the bottom of the screen, they're all searchable. So you could just put one word in there and just put in salvation, or you could put in faith, or you could put in how to share your faith. You can find all sorts of useful articles there. At least I hope they're useful to you. Uh, but they're all searchable now. Uh, that's a feature I just added on the website, and it's all from the blog content on there. But that's at desirejesus.com. And if you're interested in learning more about what the Healthy Discipleship community is, this is a community that I've recently started where basically we have group coaching calls and things like this that we're doing right now, where ultimately we interact and try and sharpen one another's faith. So if you're interested in learning more about that, you can find information about that on uh, desirejesus.com as well. Now I'm going to end the screen share here and bring you up for the gallery view. And uh, at this point, um, I'd love to interact with you guys and hear some of your thoughts and some of your personal insights. And as we do this, what I'd ask you to do is when you have a, a comment or a question, unmute your mic. And then when you're done asking it, we'll have you remute your mic uh, so that we don't have background noise. So who, who's the brave person that wants to get us started tonight with a comment or a question, or just a personal insight or experience that you have that you think would be useful for the group to hear about. And this is always the fun part. I always wait for the, that brave person to get the conversation started here. All right, I'll be the one. Who is it? Mike. All right. Good job, Mike. Um, the one thing I'm, I'm really picking up on, and I think this is something that um, as, as uh, disciples – we are always in the impression that we have to kind of ram thing down, things down people's throats. And realistically, nobody wants to hear anything we've got to say until we've given them some amount of interest to get to know who the heck they are, where they're at, and, you know, why am I talking to you today, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah, it's just a matter of mutual respect, isn't it? You know, when... When you interact with somebody, if it feels like they do all the talking and, and you do all the listening and it's not vice versa, where you don't even have the opportunity to share, um, it doesn't feel like much of a relationship, right? And uh, I, I think that we do a disservice to the gospel when we fail to show respect to people just as, by virtue of the fact that they're created in the Lord's image. Show respect to somebody else, even if they don't share your beliefs, even if they don't come to faith in Christ, you know, during the course of your conversation. You know, the Lord's in charge of, of, of that aspect. The Lord changes a person's heart, but we need to be good ambassadors. We need to show people respect. And I think a big part of that is sometimes just listening 
to their background and story. And I think that that creates a great opportunity for us to then have the opportunity to share our core beliefs and our story. And I've seen over the course of the years how the Lord makes great use of that. And so it's reinforced in my mind the value of doing that. So I agree with you, Mike. Some other thoughts. Uh, Craig, I was going to talk about the act of listening. I think that is such an important uh, aspect. I, I've been with a person that's uh, fairly accomplished, and I, I always comment that this, this person is the, the best listener in the world. I mean, he, he is uh, he's in a high position, but he listens to everybody. He makes you feel important. And then I have another really good friend of mine that's not an active listener. And, it, you know, he's full of knowledge and he, his heart's right, but he just does not actively listen. It's very, it, it's hard to have a back and forth. But, you know, if we could work as, as ministers, as, as uh, people to actively listen, that will go a long, long way. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, you're absolutely right. Craig, you'll get a kick out of this. Um, uh, well, first of all, let me comment on the first person you mentioned. You said that this person's highly accomplished and all that and well-respected, but he makes you feel valued, right? That's what you said. Um, I think that that's part of why, you know, the person you're referencing is is in the position he's in, because over time he developed a high degree of respect from people by showing respect. And, um, and it's probably also why he's so accomplished, because he has a teachable spirit. You know, if somebody's a good listener, that usually tells me that they have a teachable spirit. They're willing to listen to what people say. They're, they tend to be wise people. Good listeners tend to be wise people. And then those that aren't good listeners, those that really just want to be heard instead of also hearing, uh, tend to have a very small level of influence. I took a car ride with somebody a while back. This is a little more, uh, this was within the past couple of years. And it was a lengthy car ride. And, um, and I remember realizing that the person wasn't interested in anything that I had to say. They just wanted to talk. And, uh, and I thought this is a, it was kind of a hard car ride for me because I didn't feel heard. I felt like I just kind of sat there and, uh, it wasn't much of a conversation. The person just went on and on and on about themselves. And to a degree, it almost felt offensive to me after a while because I, it felt disrespectful. I thought, wow, like, you know, I, I'm willing to spend hours listening to what you have to share, and it doesn't feel like this is mutual. And I wonder, so, you know, so often we approach sharing the gospel in a way that we're starting right off with disrespecting somebody. And, uh, and I, I think that's counterproductive. So, yeah, I, I, thanks for sharing that, Craig. Some other thoughts. I just thought uh, something that's real obvious. Uh, the Lord knitted us all together in the womb with two ears and only one mouth. So listening must be pretty important. I, I think you're right, Don. <laughs> yeah, so you would say by even the design of our head that the Lord has uh, designed us to listen. Yeah. Fortunately, sometimes our mouths are big enough to accommodate our feet. Yeah. I understand that sentiment quite well. Um, what I'd be curious, what do you guys think about the value of having 
like a framework or an approach in mind ahead of time. You know how scripture talks about this idea of always being prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. So I, you know, I look at this, this idea of having kind of a framework here. I look at this as a, as part of preparation, but I I'd be, you know, prepare, I'm, I'm trying to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that I have in Christ. But I'd be curious, you know, what are your thoughts about this idea of kind of having a framework in mind ahead of time? Now, I'm not trying to take anything away from being sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading, right? In any given moment, he might lead you uh, to have, you know, a conversation in, in any kind of direction. I fully respect that. But what do you think about the usefulness of having a framework in mind if you're in a, a, a position like I was in at that conference where I was asked on a moment's notice to go and speak to somebody that I didn't even know. What are some of your thoughts on that? Like the benefit uh, or the usefulness of having kind of a framework or, or like some steps that you want to have in mind or some scriptures already in mind. John? Yeah. What's up, Paul? I think it's um, a really good thing. I know as I'm building disciples uh, over here in this part of the state, one of the barriers they put up themselves, they say, well, I don't know how to go about doing it. And I'm looking at, at what you just gave us here, and I see it as a pretty practical application for anybody who is new to discipleship and really desires to do that. Because when I talk to them, that people will say, well, how do you go about doing it? Well, with a simple framework like this, and even sitting down with them across the table and doing a dry run, I think it builds confidence. I think it builds a lot of confidence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you're, you're looking at this, so you're involved in church leadership, so you're looking at something like this and you're saying, all right, this is, uh, you know, even having a framework as a starting point, you know, the whole, again, the Holy Spirit can lead you to have a conversation in a completely different direction. I recognize that. But you're saying as a church leader that, you're, that you find it useful to have a framework when you're trying to encourage the people that you lead to be actively sharing the gospel. That's correct, yes. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think that's true. Uh, I see some others on here that I, I believe are church leaders, uh, either by your screen name uh, or just indicators as I, you know, I'm looking at the walls behind you and I'm seeing some, uh, you know, different things. And I, I see, uh, let's see, Paul. All right. I'm, I'm, I, uh, I don't, I don't know if we've met before. Have we met before, Paul? No, we haven't, but I was on your, uh, I was listening to you. Uh, was it yesterday or the day before? Replanting or revitalizing dying churches. Yes, I thought that was excellent. Um, Thank you. And I, I, enjoy, I enjoyed listening to it, and I also told, uh, I, I encouraged my uh, strategic planning uh, committee for our diocese uh, to uh, look at, to uh, watch that watch that presentation. Um, reminded me of a lot of things that we've also done at mission and evangelism workshops that we have in our church. Mm -hmm. I, my name is Paul Subihusky, and I am a bishop of the uh, Eastern Diocese of the Polish National Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I have about 18 parishes under, uh, under my authority. And, and uh, where are you located? 
Manchester, New Hampshire. Okay. So East Coast. All right. Yeah. Although before then, uh, for 28 years, I served as a pastor in a parish in uh, Davie, Florida, just outside of Fort Lauderdale. All so right. my wife, my wife and I are uh, uh, snowbirds in reverse. Okay. And, and I am a Catholic priest. I'm not a Roman Catholic priest. Right. I am a Catholic. And uh, in fact, uh, I sit on a dialogue between the Roman Catholic Church and ours. I'm saying that because I don't want you to be shocked that I, I have a wife. Right. <laughs> you probably get that a lot, right? Even in the Roman Catholic Church, there are married clergy. You, right. you, have, to, you have to understand that. But anyway, uh, while you were talking, a couple of things came to me. Uh, first, I, the, you're engaging that lady at the conference. You did that because another woman came up to you and said, this woman wants to know more about Jesus but I would feel more comfortable if a pastor talked to her. Right. And I appreciate it too, what you said, that it doesn't have to be a pastor. No. But I'm pointing that out because I think about, I think about when, when uh, 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 the, uh, well, see, I'm getting old, Deacon, uh, was it Philip who went Philip, to, yeah. when, Philip, when, when Philip uh, spoke to the eunuch, Oh, yeah. In the book of Acts. Yeah. Right. God brought him to that eunuch at the right time. Yep. And, and the eunuch uh, asked him the question. And then Philip said, I can explain that to you. Yeah. Uh, also, when we think about the when Jesus engaged the Samaritan woman at the well, uh, he first asked her for a drink. But then after that, uh, he said, if you knew who I was. Uh, I would, you, you would want, you would want to drink from me because, you know, I have the wa uh, water of everlasting life. Right. And, and then she goes back after he tells her, her life story. She uh, tells the people there, I, I found the Messiah. They come back and then they say, well, now that we've experienced Jesus ourselves, we know that, that he is the Messiah. Yeah. Uh, the reason I'm saying that is, uh, I think one important uh, aspect to evangelization is being present for people. You know, that, that's one of the, uh, I guess it's a benefit of having a collar because when I'm on a plane, I don't get to uh, read books too often. No. Somebody always wants to talk to you. Yeah. But the, the, my point is that we need to be available and God will bring the people he wants us uh, to engage with, because one of the big turnoffs is that when you go up to somebody and, and say, are you saved? You know, that that's always a turnoff. And it would be much better to wait and, you know, when the people have a need, then you engage them. And after you engage them, uh, then you have an opportunity also to build up a relationship with them. And once that relationship is built up, um, then they, because they see Christ in you, mm -hmm. uh, they see the way you carry yourself as a disciple mm -hmm. and they say, I want to be like that. And it makes a difference. It does. Yeah. Paul, you'll appreciate this. And some of the other pastors that'll appreciate this. I see several of, of, of us on the call tonight are, are involved in pastoral ministry. Um, Paul, if somebody came up to your, to your church and said, 
Pastor, I'd like to speak here this Sunday, and you had no idea who the person was. Do you think you'd be inclined to let them speak there that Sunday or not? Well, well, I wouldn't, but there's a difference too, because see, for within a a sacramental system, uh, you know, the the only way we have ecumenical uh, 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 interaction too, and uh, we had a, uh, I think it was a uh, uh, Church of Christ minister who spoke at our cathedral uh, for Thanksgiving. And we had an ecumenical Thanksgiving service. But normally, uh, that doesn't happen. No. <laughs> that just, well, and even if it did, you know, we could say, well, you, if you want to, if you become a, a member of the church, you could read uh, right. the lessons, the, the scripture. But uh, we've we value in the Polish National Catholic Church. We value the Word of God as sacrament, and if it's a sacrament, normally sacraments are uh, given are, are conferred by ordained clergy. Yeah, it's well. You, you'll appreciate this because I I knew I had an idea, Paul, what what your response might be, uh, because I think just about any of us, like if some random person came up to you and said, "I want this, I want to come and speak. I would like for you to give me." your pulpit to have free reign to speak. Uh, a few years ago, I was working in the, the back of our church sanctuary and someone that I had no idea who he was walked into the church. And his first question to me was, when are you going to let me speak on a Sunday morning? Mind you, I had no idea who this person was. So I replied, never. <laughs> I was like, never. My aunt, let's start from there. Never. I'm never letting you do that. <laughs> And then he, you know, over time, he went on to, to tell me who he was and why he thought he had the credentials to speak there. My answer remained never. Um, but I thought it was interesting how the person just came in. I just thought after he left, I thought that was one of the most rude experiences I've ever experienced in, in church leadership, that somebody would come in and just basically, it made me regret that I hadn't locked the door that day. I thought, why is the door unlocked? You know, this guy's walking in just saying this. But I, I say that to kind of build off of the example you just gave and also what we're talking about, like with building relationships. It's a, it's a totally different thing if you already have an established relationship or if you have trust built with somebody. And I think a lot of times we would do well to establish some rapport when we're trying to uh, share the message of the gospel with somebody else. Because developing trust, I think, is an important thing. And, and again, we were talking about earlier, the importance of, of show, being respectful as we're asking somebody to show deference to something that we're talking about. We want to be respectful toward them. And so, you know, I think it goes, it goes both ways. And so, you know, that's kind of, a, a, I think, a big part of sharing the gospel without arguing. I can't, and, and remi- I have to remind myself, I can't argue anyone into heaven. I can't argue anyone into a relationship with Christ. All I could do is look for an opportunity to present the gospel and be thoughtful about how I carry myself and the message that I convey in that moment. Some other thoughts, maybe even from some of you that are involved in, in church leadership, because I see some of you. Yeah, I see. Uh, let's see. Pastor Buck, where are you at? First of all? Yeah, even, even United Methodists wouldn't allow everybody, anybody to come to the pulpit. Yeah, I know they wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> pa- Pastor, where, where are you from? Uh, Ogden, Iowa. Ogden, Iowa. All right. Great. Just next, next to Des Moines, just outside of Des Moines, Iowa. Okay. Uh, when the lady who asked you to talk to this other lady, did you invite her 
to be with you when you talk to this other lady? Yeah, I so I don't meet with women by myself. Okay, uh, but this was also in a public context too. Okay, um, but yeah, so she she remained part of that. There was the three of us there. Okay, but she kind of wanted me to lead the conversation. I think. Okay, I also found you know you, you know you got some great great tips to uh, to give us some groundwork. I've also been working with my congregation, not necessarily also on on the 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 nuts and bolts but on the emotions uh and what i'm talking about is we are so eager to share with anybody and everybody about a great book that we read or 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 a recipe that that we just got done baking or a movie that we get so excited about that uh, we'll share it with anybody whether they want to listen or not and if we don't have that same passion when we talk about jesus we're going to turn people off as well. Yeah. So, so we we also have to we also have to get people excited about their own faith mm-hmm. to to get them to to be able to bridge that barrier as well. Yeah. Excellent point. That's right. You know, we as we're enthusiastic about our relationship with Christ, we have the privilege to convey that. Hey, John. Yes, sir. I found that. Um, the gospel and life insurance sales have a lot in common. Okay. Because as a salesman, I know it and the customer knows it that they're going to die at some point. It's just when I go talk to them, are they ready to hear what I have to say? And that's the real crux of it is that, you know, Jesus made it clear in the gospel of John. He says, you know, nobody comes to me unless the father calls them to me. And so if they're not open and ready or they're not, facing that aspect of mortal, their own mortality, um, they may not want to hear what you have to say at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's usually, you know, timing is usually everything. Yeah. And um, whether it's you or somebody else, but I mean, if you're, if you're pouring into somebody's life, you may share that gospel with them. At the time, it may not settle into their hearts. Right. But they'll hear it over and over again, and at some point, as you said, in God's timing, everything they've heard is just going to all come to fruition. That's that's yeah. an excellent point. And you know, remember earlier we were talking about the importance of prayer in this, in all of this. Um, one of the things uh, years ago, I remember when I uh, my father didn't come to faith in Christ until I was a senior in college, and I had shared the gospel with him many, many times. And I remember at one point while I was in my dorm in college, just one night I was up and I just started praying for my dad. And I realized that my dad was probably not going to be super receptive to hearing some of these details from me. And so one of the things the Lord impressed upon my heart to begin praying for, for my father, was that somebody else would come into his life that he would listen to, a peer. And he ended up meeting somebody that took the time to walk him through the details of the gospel yet again. And the guy even assumed that he was a believer. And my father said, no, I'm not a a believer, but my kids have me convinced that I should be. (laughs) And the man happened to be a retired pastor that, you know, that he met. And the two of them just talked through the details of the gospel. And, and that pastor had the privilege to lead my dad to faith in Christ. And it's a wonderful thing to get the phone call from my dad the next day that he had come to know the Lord But that was one of those things where so many times I had shared the gospel, so many times my sisters had shared the gospel, so many times my dad had sat through church services where the gospel was proclaimed, but 
until his eyes were opened and his heart was softened, he rejected. But in the Lord's timing, the Lord answered that prayer. And uh, so, yeah, I agree, Mike. You know, the Lord has to prep hearts. Any uh, final thoughts or comments before we finish up tonight? Hey, John. Yes, Rick. I w- when you were talking about the uh, simple framework, I was thinking about the success that the Gideons have had over the, the many years. You know, every one of their Bibles, every one of their New Testaments that they hand out in the back, it has uh, a four-step, basically, method of presenting the gospel or someone accepting. You know, they it's broken down to God loves you, all are sinners, uh, God's remedy for sin, and all being saved now, each with having a few scriptures there that somebody can, you know, walk themselves through. Right. If they, if they have to. Because, you know, when most people get a New Testament, when we hand them out, they, uh, you usually don't have a lot of time with them. So a lot of people lead themselves to Christ just by following those guidelines. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very useful tool. Yeah. Absolutely. Any other thoughts before we finish up? So, um, there's times that I, uh, not intentionally, find myself in an argument. <laughs> um, sometimes intentionally. <laughs> um, and when I find myself in that place, you know, it's like, it tends to be, you know, people are making, they're saying, oh, well, science, you know, says this or... Um, you know, God is actually not a good God or, um, (laughs) thanks Mike. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, you know, they start making these types of claims. And in those instances, I try to, when I share, I try to share basically my testimony and say, Hey, like I, I can't, you know, uh, speak for the Christians you've experienced in the past. But, um, you know, this is how I came to know the Lord. This is, um, these are the scriptures that were impactful to me. This is why my faith means so much to me. And uh, not trying to draw attention to myself, but trying to um, not uh, make claims that are offensive necessarily. But, you know, I think that the gospel by nature is going to offend people. It offends me all the time. (laughs) Um, And then I repent. Um, And so I guess my question is, what are your thoughts on when you find yourself in a contentious situation, when you find yourself in the midst of like an argument and you didn't really intend to get there, but you're there. um, How, how would you recommend navigating that? I think that's an awesome question. And my my honest answer to that is to be prepared to apologize and be prepared to repent because that's what people do when they're in a relationship with each other. If you have a friendship with somebody, you know, if if, if I offend somebody or like, for instance, uh, you know, if I say something that's hurtful to my wife and it dawns on me, it doesn't always dawn on me, unfortunately, but sometimes I'll say something and I'll I'll, I'll realize afterward, wait a second, the way she received that and the way I said that didn't line up, and I need to apologize, and so I'll apologize. Or if I say something to one of my children, and I, I said it in a way that I was personally offensive, needlessly, I'll apologize. And so I would, be, I would say, you know what? Uh, I, I, I would be eager to repent in that context, and just be willing to admit 
my my frailties because really in a sense all you're doing is kind of proving that that first scripture that we were talking about earlier Romans 3:23 where it talks about the fact that that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God you know in essence it, it's kind of like saying all right you know what I need to be honest about the fact that that's exactly what has just taken place in, in uh, our relationship I've I've demonstrated for you that that scripture is true and uh you know, I, I think that that's typically a way to diffuse a moment like that. I recognize that the gospel at times could be offensive, but I don't think that we personally need to be offensive. I think the gospel can be at times as it kind of jolts us into rethinking how we see life and how we see eternity. Um, but when we notice that maybe we've been needlessly offensive, that gives us a good opportunity to just be you know, just display kindness and gentleness and the fruit of the Holy Spirit, uh, and even just say, you know, I, I need to back off a little bit here because I've I've gotten a little too hot in this moment. So that's a good yeah. question. Yeah. Uh, on the flip side, what what do you recommend when it's like um, so, somebody just for whatever reason is just especially cantankerous or whatever, and as soon as they hear that you're a Christian, they're like on the attack, guns blazing. How do, how would you recommend navigating something like that? I I still personally I still don't argue. Uh, you know, so I, I've been in contexts like that uh, where that's been the case, and I just find it's I have not experienced a moment where I felt like it was productive, and so I I make myself available to have a conversation. I make myself available to listen to their viewpoint. Uh, but I don't make myself available to sit there and argue back and forth with people because I just haven't found it to be fruitful. And I think sometimes it can end up doing a disservice where I'm, I, where I, I don't want that to be the case. I don't want to do something that would end up reflecting poorly on Christ or reflecting poorly on his gospel. Sweet. Uh, one more question. Sorry for the wrap. <laughs> That's okay. Go ahead. Along along those same lines, I always struggle with passages like where Jesus talks about casting your pearls before swine, or uh, or in the in Acts when you know the idea of uh, shaking the dust off your sandal. Um, But it almost seems like there has to come a point when somebody is continually cantankerous or just constantly on the attack that you have to have that type of response to the situation. And I was just wondering, I'm always curious, is there a clear point where you know that that's like that moment has come or is it just kind of, you know, you kind of have to use your own discernment? So scripture is pretty clear that the Lord's patient with us, but scripture is also clear that the time of the Lord's patience will eventually come to an end. Meaning, you know, he's patient with us seeking that we would repent, you know, like it says in, um, First uh, Peter two, right? The idea that we would that he'd be patient with us, that we would seek to repent, but there comes a point in time where the opportunity for that ends, and so I would say there is a correlation to you know our you know our our relationship with with one another, in, in the sense that there may be a time where you where you say, all right, naturally speaking, I feel like I've done what I was supposed to do. The ball is in this person's court. I'm still available to them. But I, I, at this point now, I can't, I can't soften a heart and I can't open an eye. That's something that the Lord, ha- I, and, and I would continue 
to pray for the person because that's something only the Lord can do. So continue to pray for them. I think your mission shifts more toward prayer in that moment. And maybe you get a future opportunity to share the gospel with them again in a way that they'd be more receptive to. But maybe in that moment, you just take a polite pause and say, okay, you know, I've done what I can for now. Maybe we revisit this later. Uh, but that I think that's how I would approach it because I don't feel necessarily personally inclined to argue with people back and forth. And, um, you know, that would be my thought on it. Yeah, that's helpful. Thank you. Cool. Hey, Dylan. Um, as a father of six children, there is the teenager um, matrix that I'd like to share with you. There is a point where you stop talking to your kids because it's like you're beating your head against the wall and all you're doing is getting bloodied from the experience. And then it comes the time where they become adults and all of a sudden you're a genius. So just give it time. (laughs) Mike, I've always thought you were a genius. So I just want you to know that. (laughs) Nice. Any other final thoughts before we finish up? This was good. This was good interaction. I I really appreciate you guys sharing some of your insights on this. All right. Well, thank you for joining the call tonight. We've been doing these every Thursday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. I know we're all in different time zones, but if you could just kind of do the math, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern, we'll be happy to, you know, love to have you on as we, as we do these. We've been doing these most weeks recently. Uh, just as part of the healthy discipleship community and love to have you uh, be part of that. Um, I'm assuming that you're on my email list if you're on the call tonight. That's where I've been sending out the login credentials. But if you're not on my email list or if we're not connected via Facebook, uh, go over to desirejesus.com and sign up to be on the email list that's there because typically what I do is early on Thursday mornings, I send out a link with uh, the training called Link. And some, you know, if you're able to make it and you have time and you want to join it, we, we tackle different topics each week. We try and keep it pretty close to an hour. Like tonight, we went a little bit over an hour, but most weeks it's right around an hour. So if you have an hour and you want to get together with others and join on these calls, we love having you on here. I always think it's, it's kind of one of those things where the more the merrier, you get to hear different perspectives and different people's experiences. And usually the way we structure this here is, um, you know, we'll spend the first half, I'll present an idea and talk about some scriptural principles that support the idea that we're talking about to set up the framework for our discussion. And then the second half, like we did tonight, we just discuss the concepts that the scripture brought up. And really great uh, interaction from you tonight. Thank you guys for being part of this. But if you're not on my email list, just hop over to desirejesus.com, get on the email list, and that's where the link goes out. One last question. Yes, Paul, yes. Yeah, I just want to ask, because uh, you, you asked where we were from. Right. Uh, you're new to me, too, so where, where are you located? I'm not too far from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. So uh, I'm in Langhorne, Pennsylvania, which is, uh, you know, I, I'm about 15 minutes from northeast Philly and about 40 minutes from center city Philly. Okay, just curious, because yeah. uh, we have quite a few parishes there. Right here in our area? Yep, yep, yep. Okay, wonderful. Yeah, so that's where we're at. I love okay. your part of the, the, the country, though, too. I have to tell you, New England, we love to go up there in October. Usually our family will head up your way in October. Yeah, you should, 
Yeah, it's an it's interesting uh, living here in uh, Patriot Country and being a Steelers fan. <laughs> oh, that's all right. Hey, there's another. I bet you Don Kaler's a Steelers fan, aren't you, Don? We like New England except to go upper and play. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it'll be different this year. <laughs> well, everything's going to be different this it's year. It's going to be very different. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Kansas City. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there we go. We got a Kansas City guy. Wonderful. And congrats. You know, I'm an Eagles fan, so you've got our old coach. So, uh, so take good care of, of Coach Reed for us, please. <laughs> well, wonderful. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining the call tonight. I hope you're all doing well. And uh, like I said, if you're able to join us next Thursday, we'll, we'll uh, jump on here again on uh, uh, Thursday night. I, haven't, I have a list of topics. I haven't selected what our topic for next week will be, but I'll, I'll send it out in the email Thursday morning of next week if you're on the email list and if you have time jump on all right have a great night everyone hi friend are you stressed maybe even worried about so many needs around you that you've forgotten you are worth taking care of too well i'm bonnie gray the host of breathe the stress less podcast i want to invite you to join me as i share practical tips based on science inspired by God's Word to help you spark joy and restore God's peace and love to your soul. Subscribe now and go to lifeaudio.com.